So have you ever heard somebody call someone else a good-for-nothing? You know, oh, man, he's, he's just a lazy good-for-nothing. She's just a, a lying good-for-nothing. Or that DVD rewinder, it's, it's just good-for-nothing. Or that veggie bacon, it is just good-for-nothing, right? We, we know that, that concept, the, the good-for-nothing. I heard about a story about a man who was at the farmer's market with his wife and they were standing over in the produce and, and she was looking at beets. And he said, I, I don't know why you're looking at those. That's nothing but a bunch of good-for-nothing dead beets. You'll get it after lunch. It'll be all right. I heard another story about a little boy that was uh, more Veruca Salt than Charlie Buckets. And he went to his dad and said, hey, you know, Dad, I'll, I'll be good if you pay me. And his dad said, man, when I was your age, I was good for nothing. All day, all day. But you know, there's some truth to that last one, okay? There is actually some truth to the notion that maybe it is a really good thing to be good for nothing. In fact, not only will it not make you a deadbeat, it's actually what we've been created for. What in the world does that mean? Well, we continue our series today higher where we're looking at some very specific words from Jesus, and these specific words move us toward one of the greatest things that we could ever do in any given moment of our life. And we'll be looking today at Matthew chapter 5, the later part, and our sermon today is higher taxes. Now stay with me, a little play on words there, all right? We'll, we'll get there later. Higher taxes. Jesus is talking to his closest friends. He is opening the door to try to show them how being good for nothing is actually good for something. And we're going to see what that is now. Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verse 46. Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Now, right before this, Jesus gives his friends a pretty wild calling. He says that they need to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. Now, loving our family and friends is hard enough. The whole concept of loving your enemies sounds extremely difficult. Sounds like the last thing we would want to do. And it is the last thing we would want to do unless we are Christians. David Mathis says there's only two kind of people in the world. There's people who have a natural life, and then there's people who have a supernatural life. And then he says this, some were born only once, others have been born again. So have you been born again? Do you have a new spiritual life with God? Or do you just believe in God? Or do you just attend church? Or do you just have family values? Or do you have a new, real, vibrant, death-defying spiritual life in God? If so, if you've been born again, then Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And it sounds impossible, but we can do it. It feels impossible, but we can do it. How? Well, because in a sense, we were created to do this. What does that mean? 
The Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Rome. He was trying to encourage them with why it it is so exhilarating to know the one true God. And this is what he said in Romans 11, 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. This is not some ho-hum, hum-drum religion. Christianity is not just this thing that we do. It's, It's not just this ceremony. It is this overwhelming, deeper than deep, absolutely intoxicating engagement with the riches and the knowledge and the wisdom and the power and the love and the grace and the mercy of the one true God who created everything that exists, and that includes you. This is not just religion. This is relationship with the one true God. Paul goes on to say this in verse 36, for from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 376 years ago, a group of Christians got together and they they put together a list of questions and answers to help men and women and boys and girls really understand the basics of the Christian faith. And the first answer and the first question flow right out of those two verses we just read from Romans 11. The Westminster Catechism says this, What is the chief and highest end of man? Why do you exist? Why do I exist? Why does anyone exist? And the answer is this, Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. If you are a Christian, if you are a non-Christian, you have been created to worship and glorify and enjoy God forever. That is why you exist. And, as Augustine said, until you are glorifying and worshiping and enjoying God forever, you will be restless. Your heart will be restless. Because there is nothing, there is no house, there is no car, there is no concert, there is no sporting event, there is no hobby, there is no vacation, there is no travel trip, there is no job, there is no promotion, there is no person you can date, nor person that you can marry, no person that you can give birth to, nor person that you would follow or lead or anything else in all of creation that has been designed to satisfy your heart outside of the way your heart will be satisfied with the one true living God. This this is our existence. This is who we are. And that one true living God sent his son to rescue you, not just from trying to find your ultimate satisfaction in this world, but he sent his son to rescue us from life after this world. The one true living God sent Jesus to rescue us from the just and right penalty of sin, the just and right penalty that ultimately leads to separation from God. It leads not just to death, but death and separation from God forever. 
Separation from all that's good and holy and happy. Separation from peace. Separation from joy. You have been created not just with a capacity to know this God, not just with a capacity to worship this God, but you actually, we have actually been created. It is inside of our very DNA, our spiritual DNA, that we actually long to worship and glorify and enjoy God, even if we don't know it. See, we're restless until this becomes who we are. And if you have been born again today into a new spiritual life with this one true living God, if you are worshiping and glorifying and enjoying him, that means you have supernatural life now. And that supernatural life calls you to love God first and most, calls you to love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself, and even calls you to love your enemies. It sounds impossible but it comes with reward. What kind of reward? Trophy that, you know, friend of the year, or a new car, Powerball ticket worth a million dollars, a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. No. Listen again to what Jesus said. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you love your family, if you love your friends, you're loving them because they're kind of usually loving you too. It's, it's a natural way to love. But Jesus is calling us deeper and higher. He's calling us to a supernatural love. He's calling us to something that's outside of who we are. And, and why is he calling us to this? Well, it seems baked right into these words are, are two reasons the words that he uses are, are two reasons why we should be loving our enemies, why we should be doing this higher life. And the first one is right here in verse 46. It's reward. Not, not a subscription of the Jelly of the Month Club, but a, but a higher reward. Earlier on the same day, Jesus was in this very conversation, and he said something else about reward. Matthew 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you. Well, of course, right? That's how we always feel. We feel blessed and happy and fortunate when someone insults us, right? Well, wait, there's more. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. Oh, well, yeah, that's how we feel, right? But wait, there's more. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me so be happy be blessed when people insult you when they persecute you when they tell evil lies about you sure i mean that's what our parents and our grandparents and our teachers taught us that's what our our coaches taught us right that's what our, our fitness guru and our health guru and our nutrition guru and our political gurus, that's what they tell us. They say, hey, be happy when you're insulted. Be, be happy when you are persecuted. Be happy when people spread evil lies about you. No, <laughs> this, this is crazy talk. This, this sounds completely off the radar. And yet it's not if you are a Christian. Listen again to those last words. Jesus said, because of me. 
It's not, not just generally being insulted. It's not just generally being persecuted or, or having lies. To, if those things happen because you are following Jesus. If you are going to follow Jesus, you will face some level of persecution, some way, shape, or form. Those ladies that you go to that baby goat yoga class with, you know, they, they may quit going out to coffee with you, you know. Your, your golfing buddies, they may quit showing up for that tea time with you. Your hunting buddies, they may quit inviting you over for wild boar stew on Saturday night. Or you could go to jail for your faith. Or you could be beaten for your faith. Or you could be executed for your faith. Things like that, real things, are happening right now to Christians all over the world. It's, it's not make-believe. They're happening every single day. And far too often, for those of us who are in the Western world, when, when we think of church life, we, we miss the reality of those true things, those true persecutions. Because we are suffering through bickering over what color we're going to paint the walls or what kind of floor we're going to put in the halls or whether our group is going to get our own room so we can hang our own pictures or what kind of food that we're going to have at the church fellowship. See, we, we get completely wrapped up and we begin to convince ourselves, well, if I don't get my color and if we don't get the right carpet and if I don't get my own room and if I don't get what I want for lunch, I'm suffering. See, we've lost touch with the reality of what it really means to be persecuted for our faith. And even though today we might say, oh man, the we're, we're struggling as Christians in America. We ain't struggling. We ain't struggling. <laughs> when you begin to go to these remotest parts of the world where the gospel has, has captured a group of people and their government is executing them for following Jesus, that's suffering. Not that we have to show our license when we vote. That ain't suffering. Suffering is that when we proclaim the name of Jesus, sometimes they burn the sanctuary down. Those things are, are actually happening. Now, it's, it's paint and floors and, and, and lunch. Those things aren't bad, okay? They're not wrong. But at the very least, we in the Western church, we've, we've lost a little bit of touch with these words from Jesus. Because the insulting and the persecution, the, the suffering, the evil lies, we, we really have been protected from those things in a lot of different ways. So Jesus is calling us to, to something deeper. And when it comes to suffering, it could be casual suffering. It, it very well could. It could be that our, our friends at school begin to you know, shun us or, or maybe we have family members that don't want to have a lot to do with us. Or it could be fatal persecution like many believers face around the world. But either way, Jesus tells us to respond the same way. And how does he tell us to respond? Listen to how he goes on in Matthew 5 verse 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Once again, what in the world is he saying? Jesus, are, are you telling me I should rejoice when I'm insulted because of my faith? I, I should rejoice 
when I am beaten or persecuted or, or lied about for my faith. I, I'm supposed to rejoice if the sanctuary gets burned to the ground because of the church's faith? Come on. Jesus, what are you talking about? This, this sounds crazy. But don't miss that last part. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Jesus is not telling us that we should rejoice with the suffering. He's telling us to rejoice because of the suffering. See, when we rejoice because of the suffering, it is a reminder to our hearts, oh, these things are happening because this is not my home. Look, whatever suffering we may face in this life, whether we make it 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever we have, all of that suffering is temporary. It's, it's all temporary. It's, it's not ultimate. Those aren't ultimate realities for a believer. So yes, in this life, we may be misunderstood. We may be taken advantage of. We may be mocked. We may be rejected. We may be lied about. We may be ignored. We may be abandoned. But if you are truly born again, if you have a living life with the one true living God, none of those things will ever be your permanent address. It's impossible. A new hymn was released a couple of years ago. I just found it recently and heard a congregation of people singing it just a few weeks ago, and it's just already captured my heart. Um, we'll try to add it uh, to our worship sometime soon, but I, I just want you to hear just a few of the words of this song. Uh, here's, here's just a few lines. Don't drop a single anchor. We're almost home. Through every toil and danger, we're almost home. No stopping now. We're almost home. Take courage for this darkness, this present darkness, shall break to dawn. Oh, praise the Lord. We're almost home. There is great confidence to be found in Jesus Christ. There is great reward in heaven. Why? Because this reward of heaven reminds us that here is not home. And the reason that we can love even our enemies is because we are loving them in a place that is not actually our home. So one reason that Jesus gives that we can love our enemies is because when we look at the moments of struggle in this life, the, the people who we struggle with the most, our reward in one sense, God has given it to us now in the dollars of, of joy and, and grace and peace and contentment, but those dollars will one day be earthly riches untold. So the reward is that here is not home, but we have a home so we can love, even if it's hard. What's the second reason Jesus gives? Next, look at the next part of verse 46. Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? Now, I've shared this before. I would graciously say, as Christians, we always need to be careful about making snarky, sinful remarks about our government, okay? 
We do, and here's the first reason why. Because over and over and over again, the Bible tells us in a lot of different ways, watch your tongue, watch your mouth, watch your words. Okay, so we, we have the whole of Scripture telling us to watch how we talk just about any given subject. But the other reason, as I've shared before, that we need to be careful with sinful, snarky remarks about government is, guess what? There are some fantastic Christians working in government. There are some fantastic Christians working in government offices all over this country, and guess what? Even outside of this country, at our embassies, there are Christians trying to honor God with their jobs. And some of those Christians are you. And some of those Christians are your spouse or your parents or your uncle or your aunt or your cousin or whoever it may be. So yes, it is wise for us to question and we can wisely question and challenge at time, but we really do need to be careful with sinful, snarky remarks. And might I add, if you look around the world, we still live in one of the greatest systems of government that has ever been created. And that system of government includes the IRS, right? Yeah, includes tax collectors. But no matter how much we may dread the next couple of months of preparations for our taxes, nothing that we experience has any comparison to what Jesus is talking about. Tax collectors in the time of Christ, they were not just government workers that worked a nine to five at a a nice pretty stone building down in the Capitol. No, tax collectors in the time of Christ, they were like ruthless loan sharks. They They were like the mafia. They were hated scumbags. They were the worst of the worst of the worst. And Jesus turns to his friends and he said, you know what, even those dirty scumbags, even they know how to love their own kind. And see, that's what we're tempted to do. We are tempted to love our own kind. We're tempted to love people that are like us. We're tempted to love people that we grew up with or love people that we went to school with or love people that cheer for the same team we cheer for, love people that agree with our political views or our social views. We we have all these things. We're even tempted to say, well, I'm just going to love people that have the same color skin that I have. And Jesus says, no, higher. I'm calling you higher. Aim higher than that. Anything that this church ever does that's good will only be good because of the grace of God. Won't be because of me, won't be because of you, won't be because of anybody else. It will be because of the grace of God. However, it will be the grace of God working through me, working through you, working through whoever's here, also working through whoever has been here in the decades before us. There is a a group of people that meet every week It's a prayer group at our church. Right now they're meeting on Monday morning. They've met at different times over the last 20 years. And I can remember one of my my first real Red Bull spiritual moments of energy here at this church. And and it came in that prayer group. You know, that prayer group group over the years, there's people that have been in it that are no longer in it. Some of them are are with the Lord. Some of them can can no longer attend for a number of different reasons. And and one of those people is is Mr. John. A lot of y'all know Mr. John and And I remember the first time I was in that prayer group 
And I remember this prayer that Mr. John prayed. And I remember in that moment hearing that prayer. And I had this thing of, wow, God, you're going to do something to this church. <laughs> Man, when you pray stuff like that, okay, okay, here we go, God. All right, I'm, I'm excited. And, and this was the prayer he prayed that day. And, and I've heard him pray it many times. And it goes something like this. Lord, help this church to love people who are like us and love people who are not like us. I'm telling you, if you can pray that, that'll change the world, your world and the world around. To, to love people who don't vote like I vote. To love people who cheer for the team that I hate. To love people who are old and to love people who are young to love people that grew up in my community and to love people who don't even speak my language to love people who look just like me and to love people who do not look like me I remember that first day I heard him pray that prayer and I was like okay Lord <laughs> here we go and it's one of the reasons I have so much confidence in what God has done what God is doing and what God will do at Holland Avenue Baptist Church. It's amazing when we begin to look at the simplicity of our prayers and how powerful they are. Because you know what Mr. John was praying? He was just praying for us to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? Well, another day Jesus was teaching a crowd of people and somewhere in the course of the conversation, he began to share with them some of the insults that people were hurling at him, some of the, the insults that he was getting, some of that persecution, some of those, those lies, so to speak. And at one point, he said, yeah, this is what they're saying about me, Luke seven thirty four. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> Jesus was a friend to the scumbags of society, to, to the sinful people. Of society. Jesus was a friend to sinners. He was a, a friend to the down and outers and the up and outers. He was a friend to the, to the poor and the lost people, and he was a friend to the rich and lost people. He was a friend to all because he wanted them to no longer be outside. He wanted them to be inside. He longed for them to come home, and he's called us to do the exact same thing. Jesus, with no accidents, is moving us to say as Christians, we really should have a desire not just to love the ones that are like us, because even the tax collectors do that. No, in, in every sense of the word, Jesus is calling us to higher taxes. <laughs> we'll play on words there. Higher taxes, meaning that we should give a significant portion of our time our energy, our thoughts, our money even, toward those who are outside because we long for them to be inside the family of God. We long for them to come outside from the downpour of sin, the downpour of rejection, the downpour of separation, the downpour of death, and to be brought in to a kingdom that never ends. 
We should have a longing to do that as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. And here's why. In case you forgot, you used to be outside. We can act like it's not true, you know. I've had many conversations with people who grew up in church that said something like, well, I don't really ever feel like I was that bad. You were bad. (laughs) You were bad. I was bad. We we were outside. But we've, we've been brought inside. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Our chains are gone. So we pray and we love and we invest with a desire that those outside would come inside. Not, not just to this church, not even just to a church, but into the kingdom of God. I love what Greg Moore says about Jesus. And I love that he uses the name love as the name of Jesus. This is what he says. Love himself. Look beyond the whips, the nails, the cross. He heard something other than the taunts crucify him. He saw more than just betrayal, dereliction, wrath. He saw the eternal bliss of his father's smile and the eternal destiny of his people. He he saw us. And then he says this, and for the joy, the reward, the prize that lay before him, he took up his cross, despised its shame, and conquered death for his own. And then he says this, he saw beyond the unlikable to make them his beloved. Look, it ain't gonna be easy, all right? Hey, I don't mean to hurt our feelings, but some of us in this room, we ain't always the easiest people to love, all right? So it won't be easy. But if we are born again, if we are truly following Jesus, we'll be able to do the same. We'll be able to look beyond the unlikable. And and even, although it, it seems to blow our minds, we'll be able to actually love our enemies. I saw something earlier this week about a, a teenage boy that was talking to one of his mentors. And he said, Man, I'm I'm through being nice to my neighbors. I'm just I'm done. You know, it's an old couple. Just the other day, he goes, I went and cut their grass for them. And the very next day, I was playing football out in the front yard with my buddy, and and the ball flew over my head and went in their yard, and I ran over there to get it. And that old man yelled at me and said, get out of my yard. And then he said this, how in the world can you be nice to people that treat you like that? And his mentor very calmly looked at him and said, You know what, buddy? Jesus is calling you to be a good-for-nothing person. Good for nothing. But it's not really nothing, is it? Because, see, to be good in this way is, is something. If the grip, the curse of sin if it's lost its grip on you, then you can love your enemies. And the good that you do, the the love that you give, the good for nothing that we do, may be one of the most significant parts of how God 
leads our enemies home. So, dear Christian, don't drop a single anchor. We're almost home. Through every toil and danger, we're almost home. No stopping now. Take courage. That, that darkness, this present darkness, it, it's going to break into dawn. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're almost home.